which, which uh, likely is the most important concept in all the modern theories of science. We, of course, know that symmetry in the Torah is chen, the topic that we discuss always. Noach Noah Noach was the first uh, symmetry uh, physicist. And he, uh, Noach Matzachen, because he saw his own mirror image, that the mirror image of Noach is Chen, and he found favor in Hashem's eyes. In modern science, there are three basic symmetries. First of all, let's explain what the, what the word symmetry means in physics. It doesn't just mean the same thing that we that we mean when we say symmetry in art. In physics, symmetry means that if a system is uh, is changed in a, in a certain way and it still appears to be the same, so it is the same. It's equivalent. Because if you have a ball and you revolve the ball, so it's in a different position, but it looks the same. So what symmetry says is that if it looks the same, it is the same. It's equivalent. And so this is a very important thing. For all different types of symmetries. There's rotational symmetry, angular symmetry, all kinds of different forms of symmetry. But there are three basic, most basic symmetries which, uh, which modern science addresses. And they're called CPT. That's the the initial initials for the for the basic symmetries of modern physics, which stand CPT as written on the board as stands for charge, parity, and time. As we'll explain, the order is not correct. And this is the way that it's uh, that it's written in science always: charge, parity, and time. We'll explain that time is the highest, and then comes charge, and the lowest is parity. And they correspond to the three levels of the soul, which are called the muskal, the intellect, and the emotions, and the behavioristic attributes of the soul. Chabad, Chagat, Nihi. What does parity mean? Parity means that if, if you look at the world in a mirror, you'll see the same thing. So it means that the mirror image is basically identical with, uh, with the way you see it now. What does charge mean? Charge symmetry. Charge symmetry means that if you change every single charge to its opposite charge in the universe, so it will appear to be the same as before. Once more, symmetry means that if you change things they will appear to be, and it still appears to be the same, so it basically is the same. As every positive charge becomes a negative charge, every electron becomes a positron or something like that, then basically you've done nothing because it still appears to be the same. Now, obviously, general symmetry means doing the same thing throughout the whole universe is much more obvious than just taking one particular facet of the universe and applying some change and then seeing does and then 
observing does the universe as a whole, which I did not do anything to the whole universe, just to this one particular phenomenon, does that change the universe or does that not change the universe? If there is a particular phenomenon that, does, that even though I do, the, do a change in a particular thing, the universe still says that it stays the same, that's a much more profound symmetry, that's called gauge symmetry. That's what string theory is based upon. And uh, the mathematics, the most important example of that is what's called in the strong interaction, the strong force, which was what keeps the nucle nucleus of uh, protons and neutrons uh, together. So the different uh, colors of the strong force, that's the term that's used, that the strong force, its, uh, its charge has three colors to it. The gluons, which are the the messenger particle of the strong force, has is either red or or green or blue. If all the reds change into greens, and vice versa. <coughs> so even though this is just a, a change within one of the four forces of the universe, it does not affect the universe at all. The universe stays this exactly the same, and you can't tell the difference. That, so that type of a symmetry is a much more profound symmetry than changing throughout the whole, like taking the whole universe and putting it before a mirror. That's a, one particular change, but still the universe stays the same. That's called gauge symmetry. That's the classic example of gauge symmetry. In any event, parity means is a mirror image. Charge is that if you change the charge from positive to negative, like in the electromagnetic force, throughout the universe, or if it's a specific phenomenon, again, it's called it's a gauge symmetry, but if you change, in general, when they talk about CPT is throughout the whole universe, then the universe remains the same. You can't tell the difference. Obviously, we have to not try to explain what this means in our souls. The third is the, is the most difficult to understand of all, it's time symmetry. Time symmetry says that if I'll change the directions of time, that the past becomes the future, and the future becomes the past, then in effect nothing changes. That, of all of the symmetries, that is the most counterintuitive symmetry. Because obviously the past is not the future. The future is not the past. So how can I say that if I change the direction of time, the universe remains the same. It looks the same. What remains the same means that it looks the same. All modern science is based upon subjective experience. So how can that how can that possibly be? Once more, the other ones are easier to understand. I mean, maybe the easiest to understand is the mirror parity, which is the mirror image. Charge change is a little bit more profound, but time change is totally counterintuitive because the past is not the future. So if the past now becomes the future of this new olam hafuch, it's all such symmetries in the terminology of Chazal called Olam HaFuch Ra'iti. I saw the world upside down or backwards. What happens when you see the world backwards in some way? So 
So time symmetry, once more, is the most difficult to understand, because if I see the past as the future, and the future as the past, two different things altogether. So what do the scientists, how do they explain the time, that there's still such a thing, this is the deepest of all the symmetries called time symmetry. They explain that due to entropy, due to the second principle of thermodynamics, which is the principle of entropy, so even if entropy means things are becoming more and more disordered with time, and this is something which is in the, not just, it's not a, just an objective thing, it's in the psyche of the universe, entropy, meaning that even if I'm going into the past, I will still experience it too. To entropy, I will experience the past as the past, even though it's my future. That's part of this. One of those things that's hard to understand, but that's due to entropy. Even if the past has now become the future, I will still experience it as the past. Therefore, nothing has changed. Even if I change the direction of time, the universe still appears to be the same, that the past still, even though it is now my future, it still appears to me to be the past. And the future appears to me to be the future because of entropy. I can't say that I understand what it, what it means, but that's what it says. That's what, let's, let's believe that that's what it really is. <laughs> In any event, once more, this is called this is this is time symmetry. I'll try to explain it more. Now, what modern science has shown at, up until several decades ago, each of these symmetries by themselves were believed to be complete. This mirror symmetry was believed to be a complete symmetry, as was parity. And that's parity, as was charge symmetry, as was time symmetry. Then came along the discovery that for the weak interaction, which is what is responsible at the microscopic level for phenomena like radioactivity, right and left are not the same. Meaning that parity does not work this, the, para, the symmetry of parity does not apply to the weak interaction. This was a great, a great discovery, which is like once more, it's like a, a down throw of, of a previously believed intuitive. Or this is a, to, a great example of intuition and counterintuition. Of all of them. Parity symmetry is the most intuitive. That there should be no difference between right and left. And to say that, the, that there's a real objective difference between right and left, that is totally a counter-intuitive thing. Now, there once more, there are four forces, which are called four interactions in the physical world. Only in regard to one of these interactions, which is called the weak interaction, was it shown that the parity, parity symmetry does not work? So we'll have to try to understand this. Right, so this was the, just the setting the ground, the groundwork for our, 
for our symmetries. What we're not going to explain is that mirror symmetry, parity symmetry, is the symmetry in the soul of the of the behavioristic faculties and attributes of the soul. It's called Netzachot Niyasot, victory, thanksgiving, and and foundation. Especially the two mirror sides of the picture are called Netzach and Hod. Throughout the Kabbalah and Chassidut, Netzach and Hod, these two Sfirot, which in the soul, in the Chassidut are explained to be the initiative and the, the self-confidence that one has in taking initiative to do something, and then the perseverance to continue to do it until it's accomplished. Those two functions of the soul are called Netzach and Hod. That's more the initiative to take on some goal and the perseverance to do it to the end. That's called Netzach and Hod in the soul. Those are the two basic sides of one's active work in the world called the Kohot or the behavioristic properties of the soul. Those are called two sides of one of one, two sides of a coin, train pagego, two sides of one body. There's so much two sides of one thing that very often in Kabbalah they're considered to be one and the same. One sphere. It says in the world of Tu, in the original world of chaos, they are just one sphere, those two. But in the world of Tikkun, the world of rectification, they become two separate spherot. Netzach and Hod. Now, what is the, once more, the asmachta, we try to find things in the Torah which clearly indicate that, that indeed this, what's called mirror symmetry, is, pertains to these two sirot, to the two active sirot of netzach, which is victory, which means spiritually the self-confidence to get up and take initiative to do something, which is relatively the male side of the picture and the female side which is the perseverance and dedication to continue until the task is finally accomplished accomplished well, the expression for this in the Zohar is he is in Netzach and she is in Hod there's a very he is in Netzach and she is in Hod means that these two sides are a at the level of action, these are the, the male and the female principles of the action of the soul. The asmakta for this is a very, very beautiful image that we just read yesterday in, in the Torah. That in describing all of the vessels of the tabernacle, the concluding vessel which is described which is actually the first vessel that takes that, that, that it is used that functions in the priest serving his service in the temple is called the basin and its base the wash basin and its base the kiorvakano 
And the Torah says, as, as the term that I wrote here on the board, it's called that that vessel was made of mirrors. Marotatsovot. Whose mirrors? Women's mirrors. That the women have mirrors. In fact, we know in halakha that men in general don't, are not even supposed to look at themselves in mirrors. A mirror, is, a mirror in itself is something feminine, in essence. Meaning that mirror, mirror or paratry symmetry is, is, is basically feminine because even though we said that behold, that it's, it's a pair that he is a netzach and she is in hold, but those two spirit are actually, as explained in Kabbalah, the two intellectual faculties of the nukfa, of the woman herself. That's her wisdom comes from Netzach and her understanding comes from Hod. Because both of them serve together to construct the Pratsuf of the feminine figure, which is Nukvatizarampin Malchut. The word Sovot means hosts. How does Rashi explain this uh, very, very unique idiom in the Torah? He explains that the women in Egypt, they used their mirrors in order to be fruitful and multiply. Because the men were very, very fatigued after the most strenuous work and servitude that they had to perform in Egypt. And they came home tired and totally wiped out. And they had no koach, they had no power and energy whatsoever to, to even look at their wives and, and to have relation with their wives to give birth to children because they were totally wiped out. So what did the women do? It says that the women had these special mirrors and the, the women would say to the, the woman when the husband came home late at night, she would say to call the husband and say, let's look at ourselves in the mirror. Let's look at our mirror image together. So now we'll look at it, we'll observe ourselves in the mirror. Who, who looks nicer? Me or you? And in this way, the woman, by, by having the husband and the wife, the husband and the wife together, look into the mirror, they would awaken and arouse the, the husband. And from this, came out all of the hosts, all of the 600,000 souls that were born during the severe servitude of Egypt that afterwards became the exodus and became the birth of the Jewish people and Pesach and the Gula and Matan Torah the giving of the run all of Jewish history. So it says, as Rashi explains, that when, when the women, that everyone was, was uh, brought his contribution, his nidvat libo to the to the tabernacle. When the women brought these mirrors, their special mirrors, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to accept them because he said that these mirrors are are created for the Yetzir Hara. These are Yetzir Hara mirrors. So he didn't want to take them. And Hashem said to him, take those mirrors because they're dearer to me than all of the other contributions of the of the tabernacle. Those marotas of because due because due to these mirrors, the women 
merited to to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply in the whole Jewish people, the whole birth of the Jewish people that so vote is due to these to these mirrors. So once more Hashem said this is Khavivin Alaimiako, these the most dear of all of the components of the of the tabernacle. And from these mirrors make the wash basin and its support, the kiorvakino, that if whenever a husband in the future is jealous of his wife, that he believes maybe that the wife was disloyal, and she is to drink from the water to this basin. The basin was used on a daily basis. There was the first one, as we said before, it's the very first service of the priest that he has to simultaneously put his right hand on his right foot and his left hand on his left foot and all together hold it all together and with one pour from the basin to be mikadesh yadayim raglaim to wash his hands and his feet together and only then was he allowed to serve the service in the, the tabernacle in the temple. And would he not wash himself in this way? So this whole service was disqualified, was possible. So first of all, we see just in this, in this very last uh, description that there's something about this, the, the kior that it unites right and left and hands and feet that the whole right side of the body, which is the right hand and the right foot, were unified, and the whole left side of the body, the left hand and the left foot, were unified, and then all together, at once, they were unified and washed in this very, very special ritual, ritual way in order to make it permissible for the, for the priest to do that, to serve in the temple. So once more, Hashem said that this is the most dear element and component of the of the tabernacle, the kiorkano. Now, in Kabbalah, the kior, every different vessel of the tabernacle corresponds to a different sphere. This is something explicit in Kabbalah. The kior, the wash basin, and its support, they correspond to the two spherot of Netzach and Hod amongst all of the vessels of the tabernacle. The word tsovot, the mirrors, marota tsovot, is the same word as God of hosts, which is the divine name that corresponds to these two spherot of Netzach and Hod. So both do the kior and the kano correspond to Netzach and Hod, as well as this very special word tsovot, which is the same as svakot, one of the divine names which corresponds to Netzach and Hod. And once more, this is the, this will call this mirror symmetry, but what's the khir? Just like we said that in, in our previous discussion of the equivalence principle, that even though gravity and acceleration are the same, but still the Torah gives a, makes a little khidush. Here also, when the husband and the wife looked into the mirror, they're the same, they're the same. They just, their positions change. It's very interesting, whoever is, was ever Mekadesh Chosen Kala, that we have at least one person here that, that is Mekadesh Chasonim and Kalas. So, where is mirror, mirror imagery and mirror symmetry most uh, obvious? 
let's think about Chosen and Akala standing under the chuppah, the wedding canopy. A bride and a groom. Who's to the right? Who's to the left? So, according to to the minag, the if if the 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 couple, the kalo, the bride is to the right, stands to the right of the groom. The groom is to the left, and the bride is to the right. Why should that be? Netzach is the right, and what is the left? But uh, this is an obvious, an obvious observation. If the the rabbi who is now being mikdash the couple, so what is their position relative to to the person that's looking at them? It's the opposite. Whoever is looking at the bride and the groom, say the the rabbi who's doing the ceremony, so for him the the groom is to his right, and the bride is to his left. So this, is a, this is just a very, very simple, obvious way to explain vis-a-vis bride and groom, which is that's on hold, how left and right interchange. And it's the, it's the, same, the, same, the same universe, the same thing. But we see from the story of the Marotha Tzavot that the husband and the wife in the mirror did something to the husband and the wife in reality. The mirror image was not passive. The mirror image was active. There was some action here taking place and looking in the mirror. As we said before, without this mirror, first of all, the mirror put the husband and the wife, connected them together. The husband and the wife now sitting on the bench, and the husband's about to fall asleep because he's totally knocked out. And uh, the, there's no there's no connection between them at all between the nets and the hood. All of a sudden, the wife bring, takes out her mirror and says, "Let's look let's look at ourselves in the mirror." Then something something happens, something new happens. And uh, new phenomenon: the husband becomes aroused. All of a sudden, they see they see themselves together. And then the wife says, "Who who looks nicer?" and then take with your power of imagination you can then take it from there what what continues to to happen and once more our college said, said this is the most beloved and the most dear of all of the of all of the contributions to the to the tabernacle right so that is a very very outstanding amazing asmachta uh, for for our Parity, which is the mirror symmetry, which is the symmetry, the symmetry at the level of the active powers of the soul, which are nets of and hold. Which one, example, what happened to the husband? He took initiative. He wasn't before. He was not able to take initiative. The woman who is who is who is uh, she has to then take the responsibility to to be pregnant and to take the pregnancy to its end. It's called Bina Adhodipasta. That's the perseverance that we said, which is the the characteristic of Hod. But the initial initiative, that's the characteristic of Netzach. And that was aroused through the means 
of the of this of this uh, of the mirrors, the mirrors and the temples. That's called marot atzavot. Now let's talk about charge. Charge symmetry. Charge symmetry is the symmetry of the essential emotions of the heart. A person is charged. Everybody's charged. To be charged is to have a emotion. Once one emotion is a charge. So what's amazing about charge symmetry is that if your emotions, if everybody's emotions just change to the outlets, a person has his all love. And there's somebody else who's all awe, fear. So all of the lovers become fearers. And all of the fearers become lovers. The universe remains indistinguishable. Meaning that indistinguishable means that, that in a certain sense it makes no difference. Charge, charge symmetry is called chasadim in the terminology of of Kabbalah. That possesses the origin of love and fear, or love and might. Chesed, loving kindness versus might. Chasadim which then become apparent in the in the heart as actual first in the in that in consciousness. Then they become apparent, manifest in the heart as actual love and actual or actual experience of might. When the lights interchange, that phenomenon, there's a term for that phenomenon. That's called that the light of chesed goes into the kli of gvura and the light of gvura goes into the kli of chesed. When is this to be experienced? When we say kriyat shema, that the first paragraph, the first paragraph is, is the paragraph of love. But the divine name that gives it life is Gevura Membet, meaning that the light, as explained in Terach Mitzvotach, the Semachadek, that the light of Gevura, of awe, enters into the vessel of love. And the second paragraph is the opposite. That the light of love, Shem Ayin Bet, which is love, enters into the vessel of fear. So what actually took place what took place in saying Kriyat Shema twice every day that we say Kriyat Shema, psychologically or spiritually, there's a charge symmetry phenomenon, which is called Achlifu Duchtayo. What does it mean for each one and each of us? It means that, that a person should be open to a total, we're talking about before, Metamorphosis or change, just that things have to remain symmetric. Meaning that if I'll change, let's say it very simply, there's somebody that's, 
that only has fear, and I'd like him to have love. And I have love. So what's the eight? So what's what? What should I do? I should assume fear. If I assume fear, he'll assume love. And there will just be a a charge symmetry, and everything will remain the same. And not again, as we said before, the same is even better than before. It's the same and better. When did that take place? What's the story in the Torah that that took place? That's called Akidat Yitzchak. As Abraham, who was love, he assumed the spiritual stature or posture of fear, and Yitzhak was fear, he became love. And that's the, the secret of the, that's the highest, uh, the highest level that the Jewish people reached, Akidat Yitzhak. Right, that's one way of understanding charge symmetry. A even deeper way of understanding charge symmetry, before we're talking about the gates or Hara, from the Hechasarim and the Hegbarot of Dad ultimately derived the two inclinations of the heart. Which are the Yetzir Tov, the good inclination, the positive inclination, and the negative inclination. What happens if throughout the universe they switch? The good inclination becomes the bad inclination. The good becomes the bad, and the bad becomes the good. That's also charge symmetry. Or an inclination is an, it's an emotion, it's a drive, it's a charge. Just like an electron has a negative charge, electric charge, and a proton has a positive electric charge. A certain type has a charge. And they go in pairs, which are opposites. So in a certain sense, the same thing is, this is a much deeper thing to understand, how this can apply vis-a-vis the good inclination and the bad inclination. That the bad inclination becomes the good inclination, and the good inclination becomes the bad inclination. Very often people think that they're doing good, but really they're doing bad. <laughs> other people even think, and other people think they're doing bad, maybe they're really doing good. <laughs> this is much more subtle. But this is also an example of charge symmetry. That what, re- what it really boils down to is that the universe remains symmetric. That's the beauty, the symmetry is the chen, the grace of, of creation. So if God created a good inclination, also a bad inclination, we just saw that we saw in the previous example, that what Moshe thought was the bad inclination, God thought that's the good inclination. So the very previous example of the, of the, of the parity symmetry that now can help us understand the charge symmetry. That the, that the good inclination can become, what would be for Moshe, for Moses, the good inclination? That there shouldn't be this arousal, this uh, sexual arousement. For God, that's the bad inclination. That's the Yetzirah. 
And what for most is the Yitzhar Hara, for Hashem is the Yitzhar Torah, the good explanation. This is also very strange because in general we say that Moses sees reality from the eyes of God, Munat Hashem Yabit. That he sees things in the same perspective that God sees. Here we see an example of the opposite. That he sees things the opposite. So that very example knows that the mirror itself is the parity symmetry. But the interchange between what is a good inclination and what is a bad inclination, that's charge symmetry. Now, as we said, the parity symmetry, the weak force, was a loophole. So still, scientists thought the charge symmetry holds universally. But then it was found the charge the charge symmetry also has a loophole to it. So then scientists thought maybe both of them together, if you have both charge symmetry together with parity symmetry, then it holds universally. No, it was found that it also doesn't. Only all three together means that the essentially it all depends upon time symmetry. That when you have all three symmetries together, then it holds. Charge, this is the latest notion. That you have to have Nehi, once more Nehi is the mirror, the parity symmetry. And Chagat, the emotions, are the charge symmetry. And the time is the, the time is the Chabad. Now we, this we haven't yet explained, this we have to now explain. Why is time symmetry Chabad? In Sefer Yitzirah, it says that Omek Reshit, the infinite past is wisdom, and Omek Acharit, the infinite future, is understanding. Meaning that the vector, the direction of time, is from wisdom to understanding, from the past to the future. Meaning that the point of the present is Dat, which is in between the two. Before we said that relative to one another, the origin of space is in Bina, and the origin of time is in Chochmah. So that still fits, because the origin of time is in Chochmah. Just time is going to Bina. That's the future. So in Sefer Yitzhirah, once more, Omek Reshit, the verse says, Magid me Reshit Acharit. Omek Reshit is Chochman, Omek Acharit is Bina. The classic example of that is that Zman, time, has to do with the, the word which is a permutation of the letters Tanya, one of the reasons that the Alto Rebbe began his classic Hasidic text with the word Tanya, because Tanya spells Eitan, and in Hebrew grammar, Eitan are the four letters of the future tense. Or Eitan, these four letters, Eitan, Eitan means the strength, the essential strength of the soul. It's one of the synonyms for strength, but it's the most essential strength that the soul possesses, called Eitan. But grammatically, those four letters are the four letters that are used for the future tense in Hebrew. The four prefix letters for the future tense. Meaning that the 
time is, is called Meshamesh Autiotitan It's a force, once more, it's like a vector force, which is actually the direction of the, of the time dimension, of the time coordinate, which is from the origin of time, which is Chokhmah, into the end of time, which is Bina. That's the secret of Avetan. So now, so what is time symmetry? Time symmetry is that if the direction is the reverse, from mother to father, rather than from father to mother, then still it will appear to be the same because of entropy. As we said before, what appeared, this past will still be experienced, even though it's the future, it will still be experienced as the past, due to the phenomenon to the second law of thermodynamics, which is the law of entropy. Right, so... Now we're going to relate all of this to the word echad. That we say, Shema Yisrael, Shem Elokeinu, Shem Echad, Echad, one. Hashem is one. Echad is three letters. It says that when we say Echad, the first letter we should say very, very shortly, but not meditate on the first letter. The first letter is the essence of a God. I cannot know the essence of God. Just have to say it, the Aleph. A little bit of meditation on the Chet and the, the Mitzvah, the commandment, which is the Ha'arich Be'echad, to lengthen, to draw out the pronunciation of the word Echad is the third letter. The Dalad of Echad. What is the relationship between the three letters? The Chet is the seven firmaments on the earth, which is basically the up and down coordinate. The Dalad represents the four lateral directions of the earth. The Aleph is the root before the descent. It's like the soul in its root before it descends through the seven firmaments until it reaches the body. The earth is like the body. And the Dalit is the function and the mission of the soul on life, in life to spread, to spread the knowledge and the light of Hashem to all of the four corners of the, of the earth. This is a simple meditation on the word Echad. That the root, we cannot conceive of the root as it is a, an actual part of God. We just can begin to experience the descent of the soul downward through heaven until it reaches earth and enters the body. And then we can come to, to realize our function and our purpose in life, which is to spread ufaratsta yama vakedma vitzafona to break forth in all directions of the earth which actually means the literal plot of that is to give birth to many, many souls throughout the world, like Marot HaTzovot. So just a parenthetical important thing to know that Ufaratsta means to have many children. That's the pshat of Ufaratsta. As is the pshat of Yafutsu Mainotech Akutsa, that may your wellsprings burst out. That also means to have many, many children. 
That's the pshat of both of the, the two most important words which are used throughout Hasidut, which is ufarast and hafatza. Hafatza tamayonot literally in the text mean to have many children, that the many children will, will then spread around the world and inhabit the world and bring Hashem's light to the, to the whole world. In any event, all the, there are three physical dimensions. We're going to have to talk, especially when we talk about string theory, the string theory adds many more, six or seven more spatial dimensions. For some reason that they can't even explain, they don't add time dimensions. Time remains just one dimension. But they add spatial dimensions. So, but we only know, in our world, in our experience, we only know of three spatial dimensions. Now, when we talk about charge, charge is not a spatial dimension. Talk about time, time is certainly not a special dimension, because it's time, it's a different type of dimension altogether. Nonetheless, and this is now the essence of the, uh, what we're trying to convey right now, nonetheless, both time and charge manifest, or we'll call it project themselves, upon a different one of the three spatial dimensions. Time reflects itself in depth. Depth, the, the depth, the depth is called the third, like you say, 3D, the third dimension. Well, that's 3D, it's in and out. It's front and back. How do I know that time is reflected in the front-back spatial dimension. And this is the actual union of what we were talking before about how time unites with space. So it unites with space especially, and this is obviously not a scientific statement now, this is a spiritual statement, that time in uniting with space unites in my perspective of space in the in and out spatial dimension. How do I know that? Because the word for, for front and back is the same as past and future. Just that very amazingly, panim, which is face, is the past. And achor, which is back, is the future. Acharei, lifnei v'acharei which in itself, just in the Hebrew language, is exactly what we said before, the time symmetry, even if you're going to the past, even if the past is your future, it still appears to be the past, because of entropy. Once more, the time, the dimension of time manifests itself, or reflects itself in the Three, the third dimension of space. What about charge? Before we do charge, we'll go back to parity. Parity is right and left. Right and left are the lateral dimensions. That's the Dalit of Echad. The in-out 
דפנים ואחול, החור והכתם סרטני. The word face is either panim, which means lefanim before, or kedem, which also means primordial. There are two words for face. Either panim or kedem. Both of them mean the past. The infinite past. Actually, kedem is more primordial than panim, as far as the past is concerned. And that's the face. Parity is right and left. More generally, it's the Dalit, which are, which are, it's called the, what are the right and the left in Netzavot? There's now another important thing that we said, we said before we didn't emphasize. That left, the two spherot of Netzavot and Hod are called two sides of the body. It's called going to the side. Or sometimes we talk about taking sides. The mentality of a side. Netzach and Hod are two sides. Whatever side you're going to is a tzad. Actually, the word side in, in English comes from the, derives etymologically from the word tzad in Hebrew. That's a, a simple example of an English word that comes from Hebrew. Side. Tzad comes from, is a, just an English version of tzad. And so even though right and left are just two sides, but actually it's, it's a, there are four lateral sides, which are the dalit, the dalit of avichat. What about charge? Now let's go back to charge. Charge is up and down. For some reason that the scientists can't explain why they chose these strange words for, for, the, for quark charges. There's the up, char, the up quark, quark and the down quark and then there's the top quark and the bottom quark. There's the charm quark and the strange quark. The charm is also up and strange is down. There's three different sets, duets, duels of charges, of quark charges. The terminology that's used is an up-down. This is especially applies if we say in betov lemala mi oneg ve'en berala mat mi nega. Once more, this he chasadim the hegvulot. We began with five chasadim and five gvulot. Then we said so. It's either love and fear, or even more extremely, we said it's like the yitzur tov and the yitzur but really what it boils down to is the extreme up and the extreme down. Because tov is, rises all the way up to pleasure. That's the expression of Sefer Yitzhirah. And, and, uh, and Ra, Eitzadah Tov Ra, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ra descends all the way down to, to disease, to nega. In any event, charge... abstractly is either you're charged up or you're charged down. <laughs> you're charged in one of two ways. And so the amazing thing is that it really doesn't matter because if you change your charge from up to down, it's going to, if everybody changes their charge from up to down, the universe will still appear to be identically the same thing. As we said before, sometimes you have to do it in order to lift somebody up, so maybe you have to go
down in order to bring some, someone else up. In any event, so what we now just said is that there's some, some uh, mysterious projection of charge on the chet of echad, and the time affects the, the olive. What does it mean for a Jew to look at the, to look like to be moving always to the past and nonetheless to experience it as the past? That's right. This is definitely, as we said before, the most profound and most intellectual one. It means that, that a Jew just as God is istakel alma. He's always looking at the past, which is the, what the Torah has to say. He's looking at the past, he's re-experiencing every day and every second Matam Torah, the giving of the Torah. He's moving always towards the past, but he's, he's always, it's always the past because he's, always, because he's going into the future. The future, once more, the future is his back, it's like his past, but it's the future because he's, he's basing all of his life on the Torah. Istakel Boraito Varama. He's looking at, at the, the Torah, the primordial Torah before the creation of the world, and especially the giving of the Torah to Am Yisrael That's what, what, what he's that's what he's facing. Istakel Boraita Varama. The Torah itself in Zechariah, there's a vision that the Prophet has of the Torah, the scroll that has a face and a back to it called the flying scroll of the Torah, Panim V'achor. All right, now we'll conclude this, this part with this very, very beautiful uh, expression. Since we talked about the word Echad, we said actually the Aleph, the Pele, has, is the expression of time in depth, which is the intellect. In, time is the intellect here, the Chabad in depth. And the chet is the is the emotions of up and down, and the dalit is the lateral direction to spreading oneself out and bringing the light to to the world, which is our mission in life. In Kabbalah, we're taught that every word can be written symmetrically, and we're talking about symmetry. As we said before, practical symmetry we can only imagine symmetry as a mirror. No other way for us to think of symmetry. The word echad is has a big dalit as it's written in the Torah. Special phenomenon about echad that the dalit is especially big. What happens if I take that dalit as the axis and now I create the word echad symmetrically? So if I write it symmetrically, just in one in one dimension, it becomes aleph chet dalit chet aleph. The, and the Dalad here, which is called the Let Lamigamaklum, the Dalad is Machut, that's nothing of its own, it's the mirror now. So if the Aleph Chet looks into the Dalad, it sees itself now backwards, which is then the whole world becomes Aleph Chet, Dalad, Chet, Aleph. Instead of equaling 13, Echad equals 13, now it equals 22. What happened if I do this in three dimensions? A three-dimensional symmetrical, that's what I tried to to draw on the board. So how much is echad in three-dimensional symmetry? 
So it's very simple to calculate because Aleph Chet equals 9. In three-dimensional symmetry, it's, it has to be 6 times 9, which is 54, and then there's a dollar in the middle. So how much is the word Echad in three-dimensional symmetry? 58, Chen. It equals the word symmetry. So this again is a very, very beautiful gem of, of uh, applying the concept of symmetry to, to a word and seeing how, especially this most important word, Echad, how Echad itself equals the word Chen. Now, much simpler is the fact that Chen, when calculated as a, in what's called small numbering, Mispar Katan, the Chet is 8 and the Nun is 5, so it reduces, but the word Chen reduces to 13, which is Echad, and the word Echad, which is 13, expands in this three-dimensional symmetry to equal Chen. So the equation goes goes back and forth. You know, the essence of Chen is, comes, derives from Echad. Now, we'll stop here again for exactly one minute until I write something else on the board. We'll continue with another topic, which is, which this topic, we'll call it the quest for unity, since now we concluded with the idea of Echad.